Hey guys, check out this classic interview that we did with WWE legend Al Snow. This interview is from March 20th, 2018. Take a listen. Check it out now. Who better than Derek, Pat, Andrew, the wrestling crew? Man, they bout to put an end to y'all careers like a finishing move. They bout to give y'all facts on these cats that's fighting on these mats. Y'all can't see them like John Cena. Even if y'all had 2020 vision, y'all better listen. Pay attention and take notes down and realize that it's not your time now. And watch these three kings take the crown. Hey, hey. Hey guys, welcome back to another edition of Wrestling IQ 101. I'm Andrew, alongside Derek. You. And you can follow us on Wrestling IQ 101 on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And today we're sitting with legendary wrestler Al Snow. How's it going, man? Uh, going really well. Awesome. awesome. How's things with you guys? Doing great. We're saying we're talking to you. Everything's great. <laughs> Fantastic. So, Al, you know, a little brief uh, background. How did you become a wrestling fan? Watching the the original Sheik's territory, um, you know, and uh, grew up watching um, his his real name was Dead Farhat. Um, You know, watching him, watching the characters, and uh, and then um, then when WTBS came around, uh, you know, got it at Georgia Championship Wrestling, and uh, you know. Uh, got to see it an entire uh, new type of wrestling and just you know, was blown away and uh, immediately was captured and was a fan for the rest of my life. Nice. Now, when it comes when it comes to the uh, original Sheik, uh, is it true that you were actually terrified of him? Oh God, yeah, yeah. yeah. As a kid, and and even you know, because um, he was so convincing. And uh, so believable that even after I'd gotten into the business and you come into a locker room or whatever, you know, you kind of got a little, you know, intimidated. Yeah. So, Al, you know, how was it working with Jim Cornette? It was great. Uh, you know, Jimmy is, is uh, he's a wonderful guy. And, you know, he's, uh, um, I really owe Jimmy a lot. I mean, <laughs> you know, over the years. You know, I probably could count on, uh, to my knowledge, at least one hand of uh, the number of people that have really went out of their way or done, you know, helped me out career-wise or whatever, but Cornette's definitely been one of those guys, mm-hmm. you know, so. What about Vince Russo? Did you like working with him, too? Yeah, I enjoyed working with Vince Russo a lot. Um, you know, uh, you know, I know a lot of people are uh, very split on on Vince, and you know, but the fact of the matter is, is that you know Vince was there. Vince Russo was there <coughs> at the time of the Attitude Era, and he did play a factor. He wasn't the 
he certainly <clears throat> got myself and a lot of other people uh, opportunities that, you know, otherwise we probably wouldn't have gotten, um, you know, because he influenced uh, Vince McMahon, um, you know, to give guys a, a chance and to go in uh, different directions that Vince McMahon may not have always wanted to go in or would have done, typically. Um, you know, and uh, that that's in direct relationship to, you know, Vince Russo and his influence. Nice. Now, uh, I saw in doing research that you, you actually helped train uh, Dan Severn. Um, I was wondering, how was that experience, and have you ever thought about doing MMA yourself? Um, you know, it was, it was interesting because it's not like it is now where MMA has become its own style, uh, where fighters, you know, have a, you know, they have a ground game, a stand-up game, uh, you know, submission game, you know, they, 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 you know, it's become a very distinct style all up to its own, very encompassing, where at that point in time, um, you know, Dan and I, we didn't, we didn't know anything. I mean, uh, the UFC was a, a three-round uh, tournament system that you, uh, you know, you, and you didn't know who you were going to fight initially. Uh, you didn't know if you won that fight, who you were going to fight in the second round. And you didn't know who you were going to fight in the third round. And you didn't know what styles. I mean, they were, you know, he, you know, Dan faced a Muay Thai kickboxer in the first round, a long style karate fighter in the second round. And then he, you know, faced off against a, um, uh, jiu jitsu fighter in the final round with Hoist Gracie. So, you know, there was no way, and, you know, you couldn't watch uh, tapes, you couldn't prepare yourself, you know, you, you just, um, you know, we just went in there and did our best with what we had, yeah. what we knew we could do. So, Al, you know, how was it working with Jonathan Coachman and then your feud with the King and Jim Ross? Uh, working with Coach was awesome. I mean, uh, you know, Coach and, and uh, Jonathan Coachman and Michael Cole, uh, both, um, they were, you know, they carried me. I mean, I basically, I strapped a saddle to their backs and rode them. I mean, they, and, and, you know, both of them, but especially Michael Cole, mm -hmm. uh, I think Jonathan Coachman gets his acknowledgement for the talent that he has. Uh, which he does. He's a very talented individual. Uh, but I don't think that, uh, Michael Cole, uh, gets enough acknowledgement for the talent that he has. And he's very, very good and very, very capable. And, uh, you know, um, um, you know, I just don't, I don't think that either one of them, though, get quite sufficiently the credit that they do, uh, as much of a factor that they play in, the presentation of the uh, show overall. Now, when you were doing commentary, did you still want to be an active wrestler? Uh, yeah, but I I enjoyed you know the commentary a lot, and it was a really uh, a different kind of challenge um, than you know what I was used to, mm -hmm. and uh, and it's not easy. I mean, it's it's a lot more difficult than um, people. Care to believe? You know, everybody 
song is just easy to sit out there and, um, you know, uh, sit there and call the match, but it, it, nothing could be further from the truth. I mean, you've really got to, you know, be able to uh, tell a story, uh, sell the right things at the right time and the right way, and still maintain a character and a personality of your own, be entertaining, and the whole time, you know, you may, if you're doing Raw or something, you probably got bits literally screaming in your ear, you know, cursing you out. So, you know, and that's just because he, you know, when you come back to the back, he's, he's fine. It's not like he continues it, but at the moment, um, he's, uh, he, he's very much in the moment at, <laughs> at those times. Now, you've been in the business for a while. You've done wrestling. Uh, you actually helped train a lot of others. Um, can you tell us, like, what what do you think are, like, the biggest differences from wrestling when you started to wrestling how it is now? Um, well, I, you know, I don't, there's really not that, there are differences and there aren't differences. Um, what I mean by that is, is that, you know, I've said this, uh, hundred times before, and that is, um, you know, there's really only one thing that's quote-unquote fake about wrestling, and that is just that the outcome is predetermined. That's it. That's never changed, um, you know, uh, but, you know, the things that have changed um, would be um, the presentation the the level of sophistication of the audience and therefore the level of sophistication of you know how you perform um, you know uh, the, uh, the the onset or the creation of uh, downside guarantees the uh, or or guaranteed contracts period um, that's changed um in the uh, the ability, the uh, accessibility, the uh, to where just anybody pretty much can pay their money and get trained to become a professional wrestler. That used to be, you know, wrestling was a very very protected uh, business. Um, and what I mean by protected is that just not anyone can get in it. And um, and nowadays it's become very open. Um, um, and, and I'm not talking about social media or anything like that. Um, I'm talking about in direct relationship to, you know, uh, people going, I want to be a wrestler, and then they just pay their money and they become a, they get trained. Next thing you know, they're, you know, um, you a pair, of, they may not even get a pair of trunks and a pair of boots. They may just get, uh, you know, some kind of outfit with amateur wrestling shoes and uh, bingo bango they're now a professional quote unquote professional wrestler <laughs> yeah. so, so, so Al you know you work for WWE and Impact what are some positive negatives about each company um well you know uh, WWE is WWE I mean it's the biggest uh, most prominent uh, in, in, in uh, best platform for you to, you know, uh, be able to, uh, you know, create your own brand and, and promote yourself, you know, and uh, you don't get much bigger or much better than that. And, and with their 
Mm-hmm. Well, they don't. They capitalize on and promote you after you by you making yourself a star, and they give you the tools to do it. Um, and you have the best opportunity there to do it. Um, uh, you know, and that's a very much positive. Um, you know, uh, you know, TNA is is much the same, but on a, a lower platform. I mean, they don't have as broad or as dramatic a reach as WWE has. Um, but you're still able. You're on a both a national and international show that allows you the exposure to, you know, make yourself a star. And, uh, and, and that's an incredible opportunity, um, you know, if you utilize it correctly. Um, and you go out there and try to do exactly that, make yourself a star, make yourself an attraction, um, and thus a value to the wrestling company that you're working for. Um, you know, uh, um, then that's all on you and you, you can do it in, in both of those situations. It's just that TNA is not going to be as big or as prominent a platform as, you know, WWE is, um, for sure. Yeah. Has, uh, has training been something that you kind of always wanted to do? And cause I've seen you done tough enough and you also done, you know, gut check with impact. So has training been something, you know, you always wanted to do? Um, training, um, I think the number of, you know, uh, talent that I've trained that have went on to have some kind of success in wrestling, I think is going to be my one real legacy that I leave behind. Um, you know, I, I, I've been instrumental in a lot of people's careers that have went on to become major stars in professional wrestling. And, uh, you know, I, I'm, I couldn't be more thrilled. Um, I kind of got into the training thing originally because I have my own school in Ohio and, um, you know, um, started training guys and probably, you know, before I really should have. I don't think I had quite enough experience. I had only about 10 years of experience at the time. Maybe, you know, and, and, and I really don't know if I, and that was the right time to be doing it, you know. Um, but I did and, uh, and did really well. And a lot of the guys that I trained at that time went on to, you know, successful careers. You know, Truth Martini and Ring of Honor, uh, Dan, Severin, uh, Blumini, um, quite a few other guys too. Um, went on to have, you know, successful careers. And, uh, and then tough enough, um, you know, a lot of guys, you know, we all know those, those, the talent that came out of those. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, uh, you know, um, uh, you know, I got to be the head of, you know, the developmental trainer for WWE with OBW. And, you know, there's still a lot of those guys that are, at this moment in time, you know, on the main roster and are, you know, uh, big, big players up there. And, uh, you know, both men and women. And, uh, you know, I, and I can take pride in the fact that I played a, uh, either 100% role from the ground up or, or played a factor in refining and developing them to where they became the stars that they are. And, uh, you know, um, 
Awesome. So, Al, you know, what were some of your favorite road stories or, or things that happened in the locker room that you could talk about? Oh, uh, I, <laughs> boy, I'm trying to think. If you know, <laughs> you gotta give me a second here. I mean, you gotta if you give me an idea because <laughs> there's so many. I mean, it's just such a ridiculous world that we live in, in in the wrestling world that, you know, only in wrestling can you ever, you know, stuff will happen and if you tell it to people like I'll I'll go on movie sets and work on movie sets and acting and stuff and you know, they'll I'll start telling some stories about what happened on the road and they'll look at me like, You've got to be kidding. That there's no way that could happen. If I <laughs> but if I were to tell it to another wrestler they just go, yeah, of course, it's another day at the office. You know what I mean? It's just, <laughs> so, it's, just it's normal and completely uh, the way it goes. So. <laughs> Was it true that Mick Foley would take popcorn from the arena and just eat that in the car or something like that? Oh, yeah, he would do things like that, yeah. He was on, at one time, he was on a kick of, of and I don't know what, what the hell he was thinking. You know, <laughs> he wanted to try and live on the road on 40 bucks a day he had set himself up a limit of like 40 bucks a day that was hotel his part of the hotel rail car and then his food too oh, and it's like <laughs> he's not going to be able to do that jeez what do you think what are you thinking man yeah. you know just a way to pull that off so I mean it's one thing to be cheap it's another my god you know <laughs> when you open the wallet and, and the president starts shutting their eyes because of the fun <laughs> finally hitting him yeah. I mean, it's still pretty impressive. Forty dollars as a goal, though. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it's, it's it's pretty stiff goal too. I mean, <laughs> no, no. that's with a rental. That's with his part in the rental car. That's his part in the hotel. Now, that's keep crazy. in mind that those aren't today's prices because that's just not realistic in today's prices. Mm-hmm. But you know, back then, he he was certainly trying. Granted, that he still had to eat for Christ's sake. <laughs> Was it true that him and like Owen would try to fight each other who could save the most? Oh, we we all did that. We okay. would we'd all try and you know there was a competition for a while about who could get the cheapest car, mm-hmm. the best, the highest uh, rate, you know, upgraded car for the least amount of money. I think I won one tour when we were up in uh, we went to Toronto and Buffalo and in that area, and I got like a Cadillac, a brand new Cadillac for like fifteen bucks for four days or something. Oh, that's, that's awesome, man. <laughs> but it got, it got so, you know, it got to the point where, you know, if, if I walked into a hotel at three, you know, two in the morning or something, I'd immediately go into salesman mode and I'd be like, oh, what, what's your uh, shareholder rate? Now, keep in mind, you know, they probably weren't publicly traded, but the guy behind the counter at two o'clock in the morning didn't know. Yeah. So, you know, I just go, what's the shareholder rate? You know, and you go, what's that? I go, you know, special rate for shareholders, guys, and people that own stock in the company. You know, we get a certain rate. He goes, well, I'm not sure. What's, what's, what have, what have they given you in the past? Be like, oh, 10 bucks a night, you know, because we own so many shares. Oh, okay. Well, then I'll, I'll give you 10 bucks a night then, you know, and you get it, you know, or if you go to make reservations, you call and you tell the hotel, uh, that, uh, I'm giving away all my secrets. I should do this. Um, <laughs> call them and you say, you know, that you're a travel agent and that you're looking to book a big convention, but that, you know, you need to come and check the hotel out, etc. You know, a lot of times you can get a really good deal that way too. Yeah. So, 
That's definitely definitely cool. Now, another story I heard that I was wondering was true. I heard when you went out to dinner that you would take Head with you and you would order dinner for her as well. Yeah, I would because, um, you know, um, if you'd ask anyone, any of the fans back then, you know, um, they would have all told you, they'd have sworn up and down that I was legitimately insane. Like, nine out of ten people would have swore up and down I was insane. <laughs> and, you know, um, it was important that, you know, I felt, and I still feel, that it's important to always sell, never stop selling. Never stop selling who you are and never stop selling the finish. Because those are the two things that an audience pays to believe in. They don't, they don't pay to believe in what you do. Um, they pay to believe in who you are and why you did it. And if they can believe in those two things, then they'll believe in anything you do. And um, in order for that to be the case, you know, like if I'm crazy and I talk to a head, I can't just talk to it, you know, in 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 the ring. Um, you know, I've got to. I'm going to dinner. Well, I'm going to dinner with the head. Yeah. You know, it was it was not easy and it was uncomfortable and you know, but the thing is, you never know who's looking and watching, and then maybe next week they're flipping through the channels and they see me. They go, hey, there's that lunatic. He, he, remember we saw him at the restaurant? He's, he's really crazy. Yeah. Now, they believe anything I do, absolutely anything I do, because to them, it's, I'm real. So if I'm real, whatever I do is real. You know? Now, do you think um, that that kind of like hurts the business today? Because I'll, I'll like give like a perfect example, like, like, you see Braun Strowman on TV, he's like, you know, he's killing everybody, and then, you know, I can go to his Instagram page, and I can just see him living like a normal person. Do you think that kind of hurts the business? Absolutely, it does. Yeah. Yeah. It does, because, um, and I, and, and you know, uh, people can debate it all they want, but I really, I don't care, because it, here's why. If you, you guys know Frank Sinatra, right? You know, he, Frank Sinatra is a singer, right? Yeah. Where's the only place that you ever saw Frank Sinatra? New York? <laughs> on, on stage. Yeah, definitely. Oh, that's true. Yeah, that is saw, interesting. I never saw him doing, you know, and I know that was a different time, but I guarantee you, like, there are still, uh, there are still stars today that the only place you see them is as that star. Being, you know, it, we're not the only ones that have gimmicks. Wrestlers aren't the only ones that have gimmicks. Mm -hmm. Other performers have gimmicks too, meaning the, a persona that they've sold to the audience. You know, from from you know uh, uh, singers to you know Lady Gaga is a gimmick. You know, all these different people. They're not. You know, being a rock star is a gimmick. I heard just uh, you know I was listening to uh, uh, an interview with Bobcat Goldthwait. Um, when he was talking about what really killed him more than anything else was when he found out that, because he was talking about not breaking character on, a, on an interview. Um, and, uh, and he said, you know, he came up with, you know, the belief that, you know, you, you have to, you have to continuously portray it. And he said the one thing that really killed him more than anything was when he found out Alice Cooper played golf. Because that wasn't the gimmick that Alice Cooper sold. You know, Alice Cooper was this, you know, rock star that was this D 
demon guy that was, you know, all about, you know, you know, this evil stuff. And then he's just a regular guy playing golf. And it just kind of killed it for him. And he, he made the point that golf has killed more rock stars than heroin ever did. <laughs> you know, and, and it's true. Yeah. And the same goes for wrestling. You know, if you want to use social, social media as an amazing tool, you know, that you can utilize to sell yourself over and above and beyond. But, you know, keep in mind that if you don't feel comfortable on your social media around your friends and family being, me being Al Snow, crazy guy with a head, well then, back when, you know, that was the case, what I needed to do was I needed to have two social media. I needed to have one social media that only my friends and family could access, and I could be me. I could be the guy that I am. And then I'd have a public social media, and the only thing you'd ever see on Instagram would be pictures of me and head. The only thing you'd ever hear about on Twitter would be me and head. The only thing that you would ever see on Facebook would be me and head. That would be it. And that would be the way I would do it. Everybody, you know, claims, oh, well, that's dead, that's changed. Nothing could be further from the truth, and I can prove it. And you guys, every one of you, including the two of you, went crazy about Matt Hardy and his broken gimmick. Mm-hmm. And the only reason you did it was because of the fact that he never broke character. Mm-hmm. When he went on uh, uh, podcasts, mm-hmm. he was... That character, he didn't just become Matt Hardy again. He stayed in that character. You, it allowed you to, even if not believe it, it made you question it. And it made it fun. It made it more entertaining. Because whether you believe it or not, or you accept it or not, that is what you paid to believe. Is who he is and why he does it. So, you know, Al... You know, in the Attitude Era, you were part of some major storylines with The Rock and Mick Foley, you know, Big Boss Man. Do you have a favorite thing, and, and how was it being a part of some of the most prolific, you know, moments in wrestling history? I was, it was, you know, it was just as incredible as you'd think it would be. I mean, it really was amazing, and the only regret that I have is that I just wish I knew then what I know now, and I could have much more capitalized on the opportunity that I had and the opportunities that I had at that time and would have gotten even more if I'd have just been uh, wiser about it and, uh, and and capitalized in them in the right fashion, you know. Um, mm-hmm. Not tried so hard to be just a great wrestler, but tried hard to be a star and a great attraction. And those that was really what my job was supposed to be. And uh, I, I got lost along the way. So, you know, Al, when we talked at uh, SWF, you know, you, you talked about Collar and Elbow, and what does that brand mean to you? Uh, collar and Elbow, <clears throat> for me, is really truly a uh, representation of what it is to just be a fan of wrestling. Um, because I, quite honestly... Am, have been and still am to this day a fan of wrestling. And, you know, I felt like uh, Under Armour kind of represented football and Nike kind of represented, uh, you know, basketball. And you've got all these other brands with all these other sports, but I 
didn't, I didn't, I just didn't feel like we had something that really kind of represented wrestling and, and represented the passion and the love for it that we as fans have. And that's why I called it collar and elbow was because, you know, everybody knows what collar and elbow is and they know what it is in regards to if you're a wrestling fan. But the really cool thing is, uh, one, if you're a guy, the last thing you want to do is walk around with a picture of another guy's face on your chest. That's just weird. You know, I don't care how much you like the wrestler. It's just weird having the face of another guy on a man's chest. <laughs> yeah. We, you know what I mean? Yeah. And I'm, not, I'm not judging, but hey, I mean, you know, each to his own, but hey, you don't take that, you know. So, and, and what makes it worse, too, is, is that when you... When you're a wrestling fan and you wear, you want to wear like something that represents how much you like wrestling and you wear it out around a bunch of people that aren't wrestlers, the first thing you always hear, and you guys have heard it too, I'm sure, is, well, you like that kind of stuff. It's big. And it's like, well, no shit, Sherlock. Congratulations. How long did it take you to determine that? You know, boy, Angela Lansbury might as well give up her job on murder. She wrote, you're going to take over, you wonderful detective. You know, mm-hmm. it just please. And, and but now you, we try to come up with designs that look more like something cool. That if you don't know anything about wrestling, you just look and you see the design, you think, "Wow, that's cool! I'd really like that shirt, or that jacket, or that hat." But if you know what it is and you see it, you're like, "Oh man, that's cool! Yeah, he's a wrestling fan," and you get it, and you share something with mm-hmm. each other. You know, um, and it's it's for you and the, the other fans that are around. It's not for everybody else to sit there and go, "Oh, well, you're wearing that guy's, you know, face on your chest." You know, that kind of thing. <laughs> uh, now, yeah, yeah, wrestling's fake. Well, yeah, yeah congratulations. Way way to go, man! We, you you finally figured something out that everyone has known since the 1930s. Way to go! Nice. <laughs> uh, <laughs> You uh you've seen a lot of wrestlers, whether being in the ring with them or training them personally. Uh, is there anybody that you see like whether that's coming up or on the indies that you think can be like the next like guy or like big superstar? Um, you know, I don't, I don't, can't say right off bat. I mean, because I, it's so hard to determine that. Mm-hmm. You know, um, that that really is totally one hundred percent in control of. The, the guys, the wrestlers themselves, you know what I mean? Yeah. And, um, you know, I've seen a lot of guys that have a lot of potential and have a lot of athletic and physical ability, but to be quite honest, guys, that's, that's you know, the key, the essential ingredient to success and being a star is developing your, your own voice. Uh, in wrestling, developing who you are so that you can portray it um, to the audience so well and so thoroughly that they can turn to their friends and family who don't watch wrestling and can say, you've got to watch this show, there's this guy, and he's A, B, C, D, E. That you can, you can, they can describe you in a sentence or less. That's the key to success. Because if I say beer drinking, ass kicking redneck who flips his boss off, what am I talking about? Stone Cold. Cold. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So you see that 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 right there—that was what drove his success. 
you know, and 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 that's it. Is is that really is the that's the secret? You know, Undertaker, all these guys that are truly successful and cut across uh, uh, from wrestling fans to the, just the general audience uh, are people that you you get, you understand, and that you can turn around and tell, you know, uh, your buddies, hey, you got to watch the show. There's this guy, and he's blah, 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 blah. So, Al, you know, when you were growing up as a kid, did you ever think you would be in video games or movies or have your own action figure? Well, let's get something straight. When I was growing up, there weren't video games. In fact, okay. I'm so old, oh my God. the very first video game was Pong. Oh, okay. Oh, man. <laughs> so, and, like, the big step up was, like, ColecoVision, you know, <laughs> things that you guys wouldn't even know, I'm telling you. It was, it, it, it was, it was a different, I had, Cable television was brand new at wow. t- when I was 12. Oh, man. You know, <laughs> um, you know uh, the phone was still on the wall. We still had answering machines. Uh, uh, so, yeah, I, it was kind of hard to envision that I would be in a video game or an action figure when the only action figure was G.I. Joe. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm not talking about the little G.I. Joes. I'm talking about the big one with yeah, that's, that's pretty cool. <laughs> so, um, Al, in closing, where can people get you on social media if they want to connect with you? Um, they can follow me on Instagram and on Twitter and on Facebook at the Real Al Snow. Yes, there were fakes, which I would send them a message and go, "Come on, guys, if you're going to fake being a celebrity, aim higher." I mean, really. <laughs> Why, why, why shoot for me? You know what I mean. Yeah. And where can people pick up collar and elbow gear? Uh, they can go to collarandelbowbrand.com. Use the code Snowman, S N O W M A N, and you'll take ten uh, percent off of your purchase. Um, and I think we still have right now a big sixty percent off sale. So you. You could take your sixty percent off plus use the code, which would be a total of seventy percent off sale uh, right now. Can, uh, can we can we be sponsored by that? <laughs> <laughs> um, just send an email uh, uh-huh. to the website, and uh, one of my partners will get back with you. Awesome, man! And for us, we are Wrestling IQ One Hundred and One. You can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Wrestling IQ One Hundred and One. And thanks again, Al, for taking the time out to talk to us. Uh, thank you, guys. I really appreciate it. You have just listened to the Wrestling IQ 101 podcast, powered by B Plus Player Radio.